right, we're back to podcast, and I hope everybody's had a good day in the Lord, and uh, I'm thankful that we are a little sanctuary, and uh, he will be to us a little sanctuary, but now, now, we are a little sanctuary, and so uh, we have that, that, that wonderful reality. Um, do remember in a few weeks, well, we get to, uh, the end of July, uh, we, towards probably three, three, four more weeks, I believe it was, I counted, uh, we'll be back in, in-person Bible study on Wednesdays, so do remember that, um, I have a vacation coming up the week after the 4th, and, uh, I will be away on that Sunday, it's the first Sunday I've ever, uh, missed, and, um, I'll have, I'll have Brother Farron will, will take care of the services that Sunday morning. It's Sunday the 9th of July. And then I will have podcasts uh, ready for uh, that Sunday night as well as Wednesday. And uh, then that following uh, should be, I guess, the, the second one after that will be starting back in in-person Bible study. So... Uh, just remember those things and uh, kind of really just starting summer, but uh, for all intents and purposes, the way summer unfolds for a lot of people kind of come into the, the middle portion of it in a way um, with, with, you know, a lot of people's summers are, are kind of centered around school and things like that. So anyway, let's uh, let's get started. Mark chapter number nine. We have the transfiguration. Now, there are several accounts, uh, several instances in Jesus' life that are, that are marked. Now, we, we've got great examples. You know, we've got so many of the miracles <clears throat> and the healings and the touchings that we've been going through. But uh, today, Today we mark a an extraordinary event in his life, and that is the transfiguration. Um, you've got his baptism. Um, you've got, um, you know, just different accounts, hallmarks, if you please, with his life. But the transfiguration is one of them, and uh, it's it's noted uh, in Matthew as well as in Luke, not in John. And a specific reason for that, um, but the term transfigured means uh, to be transformed, to be illuminated, to be changed into something even more beautiful. And in the instance of Jesus, it is a transformation of what is on the inside coming to the outside, and so. The Greek word for transfigured is, is twice translated by other words in the New Testament. We find it in Romans 12, 2, uh, where it is, it's translated transformed. And then in 2 Corinthians three eighteen, where the word uh, changed is used. And so God uses, God's grace transforms us now. Um, but what it does for Jesus is it brings about a an illumination and it shows the three disciples that he takes with him what's on the inside so let's go to matthew or i'm sorry mark 9 verse number one and he said unto them verily 
I say unto you that there be, now say, this is important too, okay? Did, like, let me address this going in. This is a, a verse that has been widely misinterpreted and uh, concerning the second coming of Jesus. And um, I want to, it, it gives the answer clear. Okay, so now verse 38 closes, Whereso, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the angels, or in the glory of the Father with the holy angels. That's how chapter 8 closes. We come to chapter 9, verse 1, And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Okay. Now, this has been misinterpreted as a result of folks not understanding what's, what's taking place. Folks have misinterpreted this passage, this statement made by Jesus as to Jesus has already come or he missed his coming or he missed what he was saying in this instance by, you know, stating that this is not going to happen until this generation passes. What does this mean? What does this mean when he, when he says this? What does this mean when he makes this statement. Well, I'm glad you asked. This, there's going to be a group. Notice what he says, verse 9, the key. There be some of them that stand here, so some that are there with him, which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God come with power. After six days, Jesus... Jesus take with him Peter and James and John. <sighs> Always a good point of teaching in this. Uh, Jesus had an inner circle. It's okay to have an inner circle. Whoever you are. If you're a preacher, you're a pastor, you're a, uh, you know, you're teacher, your mom, dad, Christian, um, it's okay to have an inner circle. That This belief that everybody's on the same level and everybody's as close to you as others, that, that's ludicrous. It, it's not humanly possible. You, you're going to be closer to some people than you are other people, and that's okay. Even in the pastorate, I, I, I've never really seen this or had trouble with this. Maybe, may, maybe a little bit here and there, but not not currently that I'm aware of. But you know, um, I, where preachers would have trouble just because they are closer knit of friends, and um, the Bible teaches us that Jesus had an inner circle. He didn't take everybody. He didn't take all the disciples up. He took with him Peter, James, and John. The Garden of Gethsemane, he took Peter, James, and John. It seems like a lot of the lessons that were being taught were being taught for Peter, James, and John. And the reason was is that they would be stalwarts 
in the early church. So after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into an high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. So Jesus takes them up to a mountain, and uh, it was his it was his retreat. Jesus would go to. I, I, it's kind of funny. We we retreat to the beach. Uh, I'll retreat to the beach. Most of you have already retreated to the beach. Um, Jesus retreated to the mountains. He did a lot of work on the beach, uh, and there were times he'd go by the seaside and enjoy the shore. And you know, we we see that uh, after his resurrection and, and things. So there's nothing wrong with it. I've just found it noteworthy that uh, he always retreats to the mountains, and um, it may be my vacation next year as a cabin up in the mountains. Um, but anyway. If it was just me, that's exactly where my vacation would be every year. But, um, so he, t- he takes them up into a mountain and he's transfigured before them. Transfigured. What is on the inside comes out. That's what happens here with Jesus. And that's beautiful. It ties in with our message this morning concerning the little sanctuary. And... Jesus walked around in the robe of flesh. He walked around in the body of flesh. And it was, the Bible says, nondescript, basically. Isaiah chapter 53, you know, it said there was no beauty nor comeliness about him. So he he was very average looking. I believe he was probably very muscular, uh, lean and muscular. He was a carpenter. He worked with his hands. Um... Of course, you know, you don't have the diet and the soft drinks and things, or you don't have the soft drinks and the diet that Americans have. So he, was, he was probably a very lean and muscular man, but he, he was very nondescript looking. But what was on the inside? What was on the inside came out this day. That's what the term transfigured would mean. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. Now the term fuller here means one who cleans clothes or a launderer. So a fuller would be a laundry, a person that, that their job was to, to do the laundry. And, and the it's just a, just a very noteworthy use of text that his raiment became so shining and exceeding white that you couldn't even wash it to make it any whiter. That's what what the Bible says. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now, Elias refers to Elijah, and he represents the Old Testament prophets. Moses represents the law, and the Lord Jesus Christ will represent the fulfillment of of both the law and the prophets. Now, I want to want to make a note um, here. I want to talk about something concerning uh, the tribulation period and um, what what happens mid tribulation. Mid tribulation, you know the you know the account. I've taught it many times. Um, you know, it starts with great peace and prosperity. 
one world Marxist them under the Antichrist, and then everything's unleashed. All the, the hate, the anger, the vitriol, the, the anguish. And as it is, there there is a there is a duo. There's two individuals mentioned in Revelation in, in, in the midway point that preach the gospel of the kingdom uh, to the 144,000 Jews, 12,000 each of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And then they're beheaded in the streets and the nations of Israel are sealed off, the 144,000 they then in turn preach the gospel and, and that would begin to usher in the second half of the tribulation when Jesus will come back at the end of that and rule and reign for 1,000 years. Now, the speculation. A lot of folks, and, and I'm, not, I'm not picking hairs either way because the Bible does not, does not say specifically. I absolutely believe one of them is Moses. Absolutely. The other debate is, is it Elijah or possibly Enoch? And um, then, then, well, I'll be honest with you, I'm not even necessarily sold on, on Moses because we know Moses died. So it very well could be Enoch and Elijah. So one of those, two out of those three, it will be that will be those that that preach the gospel of the kingdom. I have uh, I've, I personally believe I've said that about Moses. I, I, I misspoke. I, I do apologize. I personally believe that it will be Enoch and Elijah. The reason I feel like it would be Enoch and Elijah is because those two men never suffered a death. They they both crossed up. Enoch walked with God and he was not. Elijah, you remember, was called up uh, into heaven. And so those men represented the rapture in the Old Testament that would that would come forth in the New Testament. Um, but but it, it but then others others believe that because Moses and Elijah are here in the transfiguration, uh, that it will be Moses and Elijah preaching the message to the gospel, uh, 144,000 to the Jews. Either way, either way, it's going to happen. They're going to get the gospel and they're going to go forth. I'm not sure. I'm not really sure which two it'll be, um, but I do believe that it's probably Enoch and Elijah just based on them having not have died previously. All right. So, let's, let's keep reading here. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow. So, verse 4, And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Luke tells us that they were uh, talking about uh, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of the Lord that would be accomplished at Jerusalem. So, the law and the prophets, uh, they're the sum of the substance of the Old Testament, of which Moses and Elijah were representatives uh, and so they had pictured this prophecy. So verse 5, And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. 
Oh, Peter, boy, he's, he, he, he's something. It would be him that would, that would say that. So the tabernacles would be three tents or shelters, and uh, Peter really didn't know what the transfiguration meant. Later on in 2 Peter 1, 16-18, he learns its meaning, but asking to build three tabernacles, he wrongly placed the Lord on the same level with Moses and Elijah. So uh, that, that's what he was wanting. He was, he was placing Jesus as a, as a prophet. Okay, he finds out later that that's not the case, of course. Um, and it's what it says, three tabernacles, one for thee, that's Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elias. Verse four, verse 6, for he wished not what to say, for they were sore afraid. Well, if you don't know what to say, don't say it. That was Peter's problem. Sometimes people don't know what to say, so they say the first thing comes to mind. That was Peter. Don't. Don't do that. If you don't know what to say, remain quiet. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. So this is the second time this has happened. Okay? The first time this happened was uh, at the baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now God, the Father, is saying, look, th this is not the same level of Elijah. And th this is not the same level as Moses. This is my son. Hear him. So that's in response to Peter saying, let's make three tabernacles. That's in response to Peter, you know, suggesting that Jesus is on the same level as as Moses and as, as Elijah, God the Father speaks up and says, uh, hold on now, hold on now. Hold on a second. He's not on the same level as Moses and Elijah. This is my son, hear him. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them. Now, now this is important. Um, do you remember... I've taught it so many times when Peter said in his epistles that we have a more sure word of prophecy. He was referring to the Mount of Transfiguration. So on the Mount of Transfiguration, what occurred was they saw Jesus and what was on the inside of Jesus come out. They saw him transfigured. They saw his beauty. They saw his his inside illuminate to the outside. They saw that. They saw that. They witnessed that. And then they heard the voice of God, this is my beloved son, hear him. And yet later on in Peter's life, referring to the word of God itself, he says that we have a more sure word of prophecy than we did that day when I saw Jesus transfigured and heard God the Father's voice. That's how invaluable, that's how beautiful our Bible is, how accurate and true it is. And suddenly when they had looked round about, they saw no man anymore save Jesus only with themselves. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen.
till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. So again, Jesus telling them, don't tell of this until I come back. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what was the what the rising from the dead should mean. And they asked him, saying, Why say the scribes that Elias must first come? And he answered and told them, Elias verily cometh first and restoreth all things. How it is written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things, and he may be said at naught. But I say unto you that Elias is indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed, as it is written of him. So he's trying to tell them of the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus is here. He has now arrived. I'm not on the same level. I am the one that Moses prophesied about. I am the one that Elijah prophesied about. I am the one that the Old Testament prophets preached and talked about coming, Elijah and Ezekiel and, and Isaiah and, and, and so many others, Amos, Obadiah, all the prophets of the Old Testament, uh, Jonah, they preached and they prophesied of me. I am now here. Okay? Now, he is committing this specifically to Peter, James, and John. Why? They would be stalwarts of the early church. They would be the, the, they would be the ones in the early church that would be so uh, strong, so, you know, instrumental. And, you know, there were times that they even failed. Now imagine that, being, being one that uh, seen the transfiguration, seen the miracles, and still at the cross, they all left but John. And so that, that just teaches us the, just the human nature of people. You know, I, I find it fascinating today. We're, we're so quick to cut people off. We're so quick to, to give up. We're so quick to uh, be done with folks. We're so quick to just lose patience with them. Look at the disciples. These guys had great privilege, had more privilege than anybody has ever had. And yet, when it come time for the cross, they forsook him. But Jesus didn't give up on them. Jesus didn't give up on them. And when he came to his disciples, verse 14, he saw a great multitude about them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him. He foameth, he gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. Again, powerless disciples. He answereth him, and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground, wallowed foaming, and he asked his father and mother, How long is it since these came unto him? And they said, Of a child. Of a child. And oftentimes it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. 
And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And when Jesus saw the people come running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying, Thou come, thou deaf and dumb spirit, dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore, came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why should not we cast why could not we cast him out? And he said unto thee, On this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Now, let me address that. Prayer means a real heart communication with the Lord and an utter dependence upon him. Fasting does not simply mean going without food. I've told you that. I've taught that earlier when we, we got into this in Mark. It doesn't just mean going without food. People think that. There's a deeper meaning to fasting, and that's the denying self, losing sight of ourselves, and giving Christ his rightful place. It's only then that we can pray and see great things move. So it's not just prayer. It's prayer and a consecration and a dedication to Jesus, a denial of self in, in lieu of Jesus. That's how we see great things accomplished. I find it interesting that that this has went on since he was a child. This has went on since the boy was a baby, a young a young kid, a young child. That's that's how long this has went on. And yet now they're trying to get help. They take him to powerless disciples. And that's what, I've seen that so many times, 30, well, not 30, I see, well, pushing it, pushing 30 years, 28 years in this. And this, this problem starts at a very young age, at a child's age. And they finally try to get the boy help. And when they try to get him help, they take him to powerless preachers, preachers that can't help him. And Jesus comes down and, and casts him out and rebukes them. And they want to know why they couldn't help him. And he says, this kind can only come through prayer and fasting. We've got to understand the seriousness of the business that we're in. We've got to. I know that at times, you know, I wonder, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure I come off serious. I've always come off serious. This is not a joke. This is not a game. This is serious business. It's, it's play, too many people play church. Church is, is nothing more than their moral compass that they, they, they center themselves by. It's all about themselves. That's not church, friends. That's not what God intended. He intended us to be a powerful people in prayer. And the only way that we can become a powerful people in prayer is through praying itself and fasting. And fasting, that upon, it's not necessarily meaning that it's going without food. 
It means we're consecrated to Jesus Christ. We're dedicated to Jesus Christ. And these other disciples couldn't help the boy. They couldn't cast him out. They couldn't get the demon out. But Jesus came and he did it. And they want to know why we couldn't help him. And Jesus said, this kind cometh only but by prayer and fasting. Help us to remember that, that this is a serious lot. This is a serious business, if you please, that God has put us in, that God has called us to. And then if we're, we're going to see something accomplished, if we're going to see lives changed and people helped and souls saved, then it, it's going to come by prayer and by fasting. That has been the first part of Mark chapter number 9. It's been uh, verses 1 through 29. Mark 9, 1 through 29. It's been a great chapter so far. I hope you've enjoyed it. And uh, podcast on Wednesday, just a few more Wednesdays, and we'll be back together on Bible study nights. Good night. God bless. I love each of you.